This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to Kindly Gifted. I'm your host, Kate Tarantiva, and I can't wait to unwrap the world of influence with you. Every day, your gifted episodes see what I did there, to help you become fluent in the business of creativity and learn the best kept industry secrets to creating an online presence worth remembering. It's really like having a momager on speed dial. So let's dive into it. Water is boring. Okay. You know, most bottled water brands are fairly bland and uninspiring. Um, they have ultimately the same interchangeable terms that they like to use, whether it's from different countries of origin, it's from a mountain, it's from a spring, it's sparkling, it's still. It's from Mexico, it's from Italy. It's in a glass bottle, it's in a green bottle. It's boxed, you know. Um, but ultimately, the product itself is fairly uninspiring and in the sense that we all need water. I can't really avoid that. Um, and each brand thinks they're really doing something to create a better experience when in reality, it's more so about taste or preference or, um, status. Um, and the bottled water market is actually worth up to $350 billion globally, which is a very fascinating thing. And something I like to reference, especially when someone tells me, Oh, you know, I have this idea, but somebody's already done it before. I'm like, okay, well, go to the water aisle in your nearest supermarket. Browse around. Go from end to end. Let yourself be enthralled by the fact that you're walking in an entire aisle filled to the brim with water. All these different brands. And they each have demand. I mean, it's a $350 billion global market, right? <laughs> And every year, there seem to be more brands added with the same bland and uninspiring concepts. And over a decade ago, Mike Cesario, who is the CEO and founder of Liquid Death, started wondering if he could ultimately change that. What if he could make water cool? Because there's really not much you can do to change or innovate the product, right? So... Cesario trademarked the brand name in 2017 and ultimately launched, they went to market two years later. What started as a joke, seriously, and we'll get into that, um, quickly became a $700 million brand. Wild. So a little backstory on the founder, Cesario, and this is a little part that I like to geek out about because I'm a fellow art director. Cesario is a, f a former creative director at Netflix with a background um, in design and the underground music scene. He said he initially thought that Liquid Death actually would have a very niche following. And that's usually because, you know, with creatives, we're, we're told like to really zero in on who this is for. And then when you're a founder of a company, you have a preconceived notion of who you're making this for, who the buyer persona is, who the, the, the 
audience that you are kind of emotionally attached to is going to be. And so he envisioned that Liquid Death would be catching on with punk rock musicians who are looking to stay hydrated during long sets or on tours. And um, in addition to any of their like sober fans that are looking to to keep up with the excitement while drinking something healthier than alcohol or super sugary energy drinks that you usually find at these events. So for that reason, Liquid Death started packaging its water in a 16.9 fluid ounce kind of tall boy can concept. Um, It's for those of you who are unfamiliar or haven't held a liquid death can in a long time, I will admit I tried the, the product for the first time uh, last week. <laughs> Just because I like don't really buy, I'm not, I don't really buy water for the cool aspect of it. Um, so when they came out with, with tea, that's when I was like, okay, I'll try the brand. Um, plot twist. It was good. Um, <laughs> so it's, in a 16.9 fluid ounce tall boy can emblazoned with a melting skull logo that's reminiscent of, you know, craft beers or those energy drinks such as Monster and Rockstar. So a very familiar can or brand concept that you would typically find at these events. It wouldn't necessarily like be out of place at Warp Tour or at a concert or, you know, wherever you would go to see like um, a, your favorite musician. So again, Monster and, and Rockstar as well as craft beer are typically found in the punk rock scene and festivals and, and that environment. So he was inspired by something that was already existing from like a branding perspective that wouldn't throw his intended audience off too much right so he thought that this was going to be his very niche audience of musicians specifically in the punk rock space and they're hopefully like sober fans that are looking for a healthier alternative instead he actually found that there was a wider audience here and that varied from, you know, Gen Z or younger millennials who love the brand's like cool name and cool aesthetic and design to actually moms who want their kids to drink something healthy. The mom audience was very surprising to me, but like pop off, you know what I'm saying? Um, and that's something very interesting to consider because I was having this conversation with a mentor of mine as well. And, and we were talking about how oftentimes you might as a founder be so zeroed in on a specific audience that you're emotionally attached to and that you're hoping to solve a problem to. And you may not consider the fact that you might have actually secondary audiences for different reasons, right? So in this particular case, we have Gen Z who is obsessed with the cool nature, the kind of clout, the status, the artisticism, the the things that the fashionable, so to say, aspect of the brand, right? And being part of the lifestyle without maybe being part of the punk rock music scene necessarily. And then you have the um, the, the the third type of audience, the tertiary audience, who are moms that want their kids to drink something healthy. And maybe, again, this is like linked to certain marketing or language or positioning around the brand, but also maybe the design. Maybe the kids want something like cooler to carry to school or, you know, those kinds of things. So it's 
different audiences that are participating within the brand for different reasons. But sometimes when you zero in so much on a specific audience that you might alienate people that, yes, may not resonate with the original ethos of your brand, but they resonate with it still for different reasons and still want to be part of the culture and the lifestyle that your brand is creating. Um, So with large investors from the entertainment scene, like Live Nation, comedian Whitney Cummings, and members of the Swedish House Mafia, the investors in general who have pumped money into Liquid Death have given about $195 million, which ultimately increased Liquid Death's valuation to that $700 million figure that I mentioned earlier. Um, and Liquid Death's quick success in just three years, makes it way more than just a clever name. Even though Cesario does admit that this might be the product's biggest selling point. Um, he is ultimately saying, and this is and this is also reflected in the types of investors that I just mentioned, is that he's creating an entertainment and media company around Liquid Death. Like, it's not just a water company. And this is something similar that Jake Carls of Midday Squares, um, who I have an episode with on the show as well, also mentioned about their company, Midday Squares. They're not just building, you know, a chocolate company. They're building kind of the Nike of chocolate and really more so a media and entertainment company as well. So I, I love that approach here also. I think when you actually dive into the marketing of Liquid Death, the kind of off-the-wall collaborations, their social media, it's very clear that they're not just looking to like push a, a water product to you. They're, they're creating a fun, exciting, um, entertaining world for you to participate in, even if you don't buy their product. Um, so this is actually a quote from Mike Cesario that I, that I kind of proves this, this theory. And he says, we actually, we want to actually entertain people and make them laugh in service of a brand. And if you can do that, they're going to love your brand because you're giving them something of value. You're actually making them laugh. So again, that kind of ties back to what I said earlier. Um, but let's go back to 2009 when Mike first had the idea for, for liquid death, because this concept arose initially about 10 years ago. So he was at Warp Tour watching some of his friends perform because he does have a background in the underground music scene and that's part of his interest. So like I mentioned earlier, Monster was a big sponsor for the tour and musicians would often um, actually dump out the contents of the Monster can, replace it with water, but still keep the can to stay in line with sponsorship requirements. Um, But by having water in the can instead of the sugary monster drink, they were actually staying hydrated. And Mike thought, well, how come there aren't more healthier products that still have like funny, cool, irreverent branding? And he says, because most of the funniest, most memorable, irreverent brand branding and marketing is all for junk food, which I think is very interesting. And definitely if you've listened to this episode um, on the show uh, about McDonald's famous orders. Uh, you already know that to be true. Um, so, okay, fast forward to 2014, he actually pitched the idea of what is now Liquid Death to a public service ad campaign. And the campaign concept was about making a statement around the health risks of sugary drinks, because that's something he's very passionate about, right? And the canned water was meant to be kind of a stunt or a piece of guerrilla marketing or stunt marketing that pokes fun 
at, um, you know, the, the, the it creates a, a funnier edge to a more serious campaign, right? Ultimately, it was, however, rejected by the client. But Mike did not stop tinkering at the idea. He kind of kept going and working on the concept independently over the next two years. When he was thinking about launching the brand initially, he was really short on budget for a launch campaign, right? But he still wanted to make a splash. He knew the marketing had to be insanely interesting. He wanted to market to the masses in non-traditional ways because the traditional ways would be completely out of budget. So he invested his time into crafting this brand identity, this very like recognizable brand identity that Liquid Death now has that would ultimately generate the best form of free social marketing that there is, and that's organic social share. So that was something that he was already considering um, at the very, very beginning stages, the inception of the brand itself. So therefore, because he was taking this approach, he had to bake the marketing into the product. And that's the other thing that we know to be as like branding, truly. When people usually think of branding, they think of a logo, an aesthetic. That's not really what branding is. There's also the neuromarketing and psychological component of storytelling um, that you want to resonate with a specific type of consumer or types of consumers um, so that they would go and do the thing that you're hoping to do, which is either, you know, word of mouth or the digital version of that, which is social media sharing. So his trick that the, the, the Liquid Death team still uses to this day for their campaigns, like the infamous Martha Stewart collaboration and the Tony Hawk skateboard, like with his, with his blood collab, highly recommend looking into that. It's really cool. Um, this is, this is the principle and the rhetoric that he uses. Okay. So Mike says, what's the dumbest possible idea? If you try to think of a smart idea, then your brain is hardwired to think about successful examples that already exist. I'm going to read that again because I, I think it's very powerful. So think of the dumbest possible idea. Because if you try to think of a smart idea, then your brain is already hardwired to think about successful examples that already exist. It's very, it's very true. I think that's such a powerful statement. So he uses this rhetoric in coming up with the name, with Liquid Death. So his, you know, he ultimately said about the process of coming up with the name, he was like, oh, what's the dumbest possible name for a super healthy, safe beverage? Liquid Death. It's probably the dumbest name. That's actually a quote that he gave to CNBC. Um, so Liquid Death creates curiosity that the branding the name you know what is this beer looking can doing in the water aisle right creates curiosity it causes your arm to extend and reach for the can to inspect it further once you pick it up you've already won which is something that Mike himself swears by I thought that was another very powerful thing that he said like once people pick up your product you've already won it's in their hands um and when he, he got into the early fundraising stages for Liquid Death, his potential investors rejected the idea saying, like, people are going to confuse this shit with beer. Like, they're going to be, you know, confused. Why is this sitting in the water aisle? So Mike had to test the validity of his idea, which is not a foreign concept. Um, 
he created a 3D rendering of the can. He made a Facebook page um, for the product. And this was all happening in 2018. He then goes on to spend about $1,500 on a two-minute commercial featuring one of his his friends who happened to be his his wife's friend as well, who's an actress. And then he invested another three grand into paid media to promote the commercial. And so four months in, the result was that the video had three million views in 2018 and gained over 80,000 fans for the page, which at the time was more fans than Aquafina, owned by the Coca-Cola company, had on their Facebook page. People started messaging the brand asking if it's real, and ultimately the rest is history. That was enough for investors to showcase the validity of this idea that it really is a viable concept. And they ultimately ended up backing the brand in 2019. And the first shipments of liquid debt started going out the same year, actually in January of 2019. So since then, we're in 2023 now. Since then, the brand has expanded to over 60,000 store locations nationwide and is Amazon's top-selling water brand. They've also expanded their product offerings. They have sparkling water as well, different flavors, and the tea that I mentioned a little bit earlier in the episode, which I personally have tried, and it is amazing. Um, the biggest worry right now with, with Liquid Death uh, that I think people looking from the outside in have is that how is it going to continue competing with a, with a conglomerate like the Coca-Cola company, which owns, you know, Dasani, um, Aquafina, a bunch of the other uh, very popular water brands? And, and can the funniness or the dumbness of the Liquid Death concept really take it far? Is that sustainable? Mike personally says that he's not particularly concerned because it's really hard to replicate the marketing here, which he, from the get-go, like, baked into the product. It's baked into the brand, right? Um, He, from the get-go, didn't want to start a product or a business. He wanted to build a brand around something that's not, like, super innovative. Iced tea, water, sparkling water, not super innovative products. So he had to innovate with the marketing. Um, And furthermore, you know, the interesting other part, and this is kind of the last bit that I wanted to share is that aside from creating this really entertaining uh, brand and and entertaining company that makes people laugh and creates these super cool stunts with Martha Stewart and Tony Hawk and all of these funny videos, Liquid Death also has a higher purpose. And it's not just aiming to murder your thirst, but it's deadly serious about killing plastic. (laughs) I know there was a lot of puns in there. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Had to do it. Liquid Death um, has actually partnered with a handful of nonprofit organizations to further its efforts to curb climate change. And it also donates 10% of the profits from each can to help kill plastic pollution. So it's a brand that also has a cause-based Um, mission attached, which I think only makes people fall in love with it more and creates even more unexpectedness. Like you wouldn't think of a brand like this actually caring about the environment or being really interested in in nonprofit efforts. Um, And I think that does kind of tie back a little bit. I kind of am interested if that's a little bit of like that shade um, towards the public service ad campaign that Mike pitched for in 2014 that ultimately ended up rejecting this concept. So it's all just a bunch of full circle moments. And it's it's really interesting to look at a brand, any brand from the outside and look at kind of its origin story and its build story and see how connected it is to the founder's ethos and, and um, 
passion and all of these different things that really are, like Mike said, super difficult to replicate by other larger conglomerates because you have to be able to have the same drive and passion for the story and the ultimate customer that you're helping it will resonate with. I mean, I think Liquid Death has done an incredible job of that. So I hope this was inspiring to anybody who wants to found a brand or is in a process where they currently have a business or a product and they want to create a brand around it that actually starts conversation and gets people excited about something. And also know that, again, you know, if you think that your idea has already been done before, like go to the water aisle. You know, Liquid Death wasn't afraid to put itself in between Dasani and Aquafina and San Pellegrino, Topo Chico, yada, yada. So you shouldn't be either in whatever vertical it is you're hoping to found your brand. Thanks for tuning in to Kindly Gifted. To support the podcast, please leave a review, share with your friends, and don't forget to subscribe. Make sure you follow me on TikTok at Kate Mob for more creative secrets from the internet's momager. See you on the next episode of Kindly Gifted.